Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Oh, there's trouble in the Eastern Catholic churches, but that's not anything new. These things happen from time to time, and in a particular way among the Eastern Catholic churches, because they were small, and the people, the priests, are very passionate about their church. They love their church, and oftentimes issues can become very, very hot issues, held very deeply in the hearts, and sometimes trouble can occur when these issues come up. In the Cyril Malabar Church, which is a church that was founded by St. Thomas the Apostle. Can you imagine? Back in 52 AD, just after the time of Jesus being on earth. They're very, very proud of that, and they should be. They were founded directly by an apostle, Apostle Thomas, going all the way from the Holy Lands to India at that time. It's amazing. There is in India the Cyril Malabar Church and also the Cyril Malankar Church. These are both Eastern Catholic churches. But in the Cyril Malabar Church, there is some difficulty recently, and history is repeating itself because the difficulties in their church a long time ago elicited the intervention of the popes. Well, once again, it's happening now, and the intervention is by Pope Francis. The Cyril Malabar Catholic Church, its members are direct descendants, as I mentioned, of the, they call them Thomas Christians, because they were evangelized directly by St. Thomas the Apostle. And the Portuguese, the Catholic Portuguese, encountered these people in India in 1498 while exploring the Malabar coast of India. Now that, as you recall, was just a few years after Columbus discovered America. These Christians were in full communion with the Assyrian church in Persia, and they followed basically the Syriac tradition of liturgy. Very, very ancient. And they greeted the Portuguese as fellow Christians and as representatives of the Church of Rome, whose special status they had continued to acknowledge despite centuries of isolation. You can imagine how isolated they were, being in India, how far away that is from Rome. In general, however, 
the Portuguese did not accept the legitimacy of local Malabar traditions, and they began to impose Latin usages upon the Thomas Christians. And a synod held in the Amper in 1599, under the presidency of the Portuguese Archbishop of Joa, a number of such Latinizations were adopted, including the appointment of Portuguese bishops, changes in the Eucharistic liturgy, the use of Roman vestments, the requirement of clerical celibacy, and the setting up of the Inquisition. Again, this is in the late 16th century. Now, I'm reading from a wonderful reference I've used many times on our program here, Light of the East. It's called The Eastern Christian Churches, A Brief Survey by Father Ronald Roberson. He does very, very good work in codifying and explaining, presenting the nature, character, history of Eastern Catholic churches. So I'll go on reading from Father Roberson's very, very fine work here. These Latinizations provoked widespread discontent, which finally culminated in a decision by most Thomas Christians in 1653 to break with Rome. In response, now here we have the Pope getting involved, Pope Alexander VII sent Carmelite friars to Malabar to deal with the situation. By 1662, the majority of the dissidents had returned to communion with the Catholic Church. European Carmelites would continue to serve as bishops in the Cyril Malabar Church until 1896, when the Holy See established three vicariates for the Thomas Christians. This new autonomy coincided with a strong revival of the church. While in 1876 there were approximately 200,000 Cyril Malabar Catholics, the number had more than doubled by 1931. By 1960, there were nearly one and one-half million faithful, and today their number almost is four million. They have many vocations to the priesthood. In fact, many of you who may have priests in your parishes, especially if you're a Latin Rite Catholic, some of these priests may be from India. Most of them, if not all, are actually from the Cyril Malabar Church. They have many vocations to the point where they can actually help out other countries, other churches in other countries. I have had the privilege to work with the Cyril Malabar Church, which has a center here in the Chicago area, and they are a very, very enthusiastic, very vibrant church. Lots of young people, very proud of who they are. It's just a, a wonderful church. So it's unfortunate they're having this difficulty, but this is all part of growth. It's part of the history of a church, and I'm sure that under guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Vatican, things will be worked out in time. Now, in 1934, Pope Pius XI initiated a process of liturgical reform that sought to restore the oriental nature of the heavenly Latinized Cyril Malabar Rite. A restored Eucharistic liturgy, drawing on the original East Syrian sources, was approved by Pius XII. See, we're getting more popes involved here, in 1957 and introduced in 1962. Despite a reaffirmation of the main themes of the 1962 rite by the Oriental Congregation in 1985, however, there has been strong resistance to this reform. The majority of Cyril Malabar dioceses still use a rite that in externals is hardly distinguishable from the Latin rite mass. Now, in January 1996, another pope, John Paul II presided over the opening of a special synod of bishops of the Cyril Malabar Church in Rome, which was to attempt to overcome factual disputes that have centered on the proposed liturgical forms. In 1998, Pope John Paul II gave the Cyril Malabar bishops full authority in liturgical matters in a further effort to facilitate a resolution of the dispute. Now, before I go on, there's a couple things that are interesting here in terms of this whole world, reality of the church of East and West, and the place of the Pope in that. 
Notice that the popes, several popes in this story, intervened in the situation of the Cyril Malibur Church, which was heavily Latinized, but there are members of the church that wanted to return to their original true traditions and others that resisted it. So popes got involved over time. And eventually in time, you had a pope like John Paul II, who we just read about, who turned the authority over to the eastern bishops of the Cyril Malibar Rite themselves for them to work it out. Now, here you have some good examples of how the church is supposed to work in terms of an eastern church uniting with Rome. And this is something that our Orthodox brethren should take note of, could be encouraging, that a pope intervened. He didn't micromanage. He intervened when there was a problem. That was always how it was in the church in the first millennium. Rome intervened when needed. They didn't micromanage and then rain down rules and authorities and orders. They intervened when needed. But also, they gave authority to the local church to work out its own problems, with Rome, of course, being there to help out, to oversee, to intervene if necessary. So there are examples of how being an Eastern church in union with the Pope of Rome can work very well. That was the way it's supposed to work, because our Orthodox brethren are concerned that if they reunite with Rome, that there'll be this sort of overreach of authority, of jurisdiction by the Holy Father, the Pope of Rome. That's one of the most salient issues in ecumenical dialogue between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church, this place of the Pope's authority. How far-reaching is his jurisdiction? How much can he meddle or micromanage? That's the fear. But here we have some examples of how it really can and should work the Holy Father intervening when needed, but respecting the authority of the local church and its bishops. Now, relations between the Cyril Malabar Catholic Church and the Latin Church in India have often been marked by tension, particularly regarding the question of the establishment of Cyril Malabar jurisdictions in other parts of India to care for the many Malabars who have emigrated there. Only in 1977 did the Holy See begin to establish Cyril Malabar diocese in parts of India where Latin dioceses already existed. Until recently, there was no single head of the Cyril Malabar Catholic Church, but two metropolitan dioceses of equal rank. But on December 16, 1992, Pope John Paul II raised the Cyril Malabar Church to major archiepiscopal rank and appointed Cardinal Antony Padiara as the first major archbishop. And then he retired in 1996. As of mid-1998, accessor had not been chosen. So we have historically a problem in the Cyril Malabar Church, which was very divisive, that came from this thing called Latinization. When we return, we're going to talk more about Latinization, the intervention of the Pope, and the ramifications of that, especially in regard to the Cyril Malabar Eastern Catholic Church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card with your help. We can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you I'm David Carollo, Executive Director of the World Apostle of Fatima USA. You are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality, and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're talking about the trouble in the Eastern Catholic churches, in particular with the Cyril Malabar Church, a very vibrant church that people feel very passionate about. They're very involved, and this is what can happen, especially in the Eastern Catholic churches, because we're small and kind of tightly knit, at least comparatively small to the Latin Rite Church. We're talking about the trouble that was caused in the Cyril Malabar Church by what's called Latinization, as you heard in the first part of our program. This is where, and this has happened from time to time in the Catholic Church, where the Latin Rite, so much bigger than the Eastern churches numerically, usually in most places of the world, but not everywhere, would often look at the Eastern churches as less valid, that the only way to really be Catholic is to be like the Latin Rite. And so when they came upon or came to encounter Eastern rites, it was often the case that the Latin rite hierarchy, all the way up to the Pope, would impose Latin rite customs and so on on the Eastern rite churches, because this would make them more certainly Catholic, more validly and truly Catholic. Now, that was a misperception of the church. What makes the church Catholic, even the word itself, universal, if something's universal, it means it has to include the whole world. What makes something Catholic in the sense of not belief in terms of the character of the church is precisely that universality, which is made up of diversity. That should make perfect sense. Would it make sense to you that a country that is in the Eastern Hemisphere would have a different history, different culture, different language, foods, etc., etc., than we who are in the Western Hemisphere? That wouldn't surprise you. You would expect that, right? Well, so it is with the church. As the church spread throughout the world, it took on the character, the expression of the culture it was in. 
So you have the same faith, the same belief under the same pope, but expressed differently with different developments, rights. We call these rights of the church, R-I-T-E-S. That is a natural thing, but oftentimes it is not seen that way, especially by the Latin rite, because the Latin rite, as I mentioned, is so much larger, and the Pope is basically Latin rite, although he essentially belongs to the whole church, all the rites in a sense, but he is basically Latin rite. So it seems like that's the real church, and the other ones have to kind of comply or maybe change their complexion a bit so that they are truly Catholic. But Catholic means the diversity of expressions. Now, this Latinization was very, very harmful to the Eastern churches, in particular to the Syro-Malabar church, because what's happening today, as I mentioned earlier, history is repeating itself. This difficulty they had centuries ago when the Portuguese came and imposed Latinizations on them in the 16th century That difficulty required intervention of the Pope, actually several Popes. Well, guess what? It's happening again today. There is a group in the Cyril Malabar Church today that wants to, once again, continue to rediscover and return to its original liturgical rites, that being the ancient Syriac rite of their liturgy. And there is a group that wants to retain really what was the Latinizations, or I might call it modernizations, that were actually foreign to the Cyril Malabar rite. Things like turning the altar around and the priest facing the people during the Mass or liturgy. They call their Mass Kurbana. Their liturgy is Kurbana. It's a, it's a Syriac-based liturgy. The Maronites use a very similar one as well, and the Assyrians. Now, the group that wants to retain this modernization are a group of priests and, of course, laity, who basically grew up in the post-Vatican II era where facing the people at their mass, their kribana, was what they knew growing up. And so they want to keep that. Others know, whether they grew up with this or not, in the post-Vatican time or not, they know historically, and some may be old enough to remember prior to Vatican II, that the original tradition of the Syriac liturgy, the ones used by the Syro-Malabar Catholics, is for the priest to face ad orientum, in other words, to face east. That has always been the custom of all the Eastern churches from the very beginning. It was actually the custom of the Latin Rite, too, until, of course, after Vatican II. Not because of Vatican II. Vatican II never asked for the altar to be turned around and for the priest to face the people. It never did that. This came after Vatican II in the Western Church only. In the Eastern churches, we always face the altar. In other words, ad orientum, which means towards the east, the rising sun. And we associate that with Jesus Christ, or Jerusalem, the east. So there's this big war going on. In fact, unfortunately, as I mentioned, the Eastern churches have become very passionate about their churches, especially their liturgy and traditions, to the point where there is actually fisticuffs in the, in the church, in the liturgy. Yeah, so now you understand why the Pope has intervened. We can't have this going on. We've got to do something about this. Well, Pope Francis, now this is very interesting, especially those of you who are maybe are Latin Rite Catholics. Pope Francis told the Cyril Malabar Church, its clergy, its bishops, to have all their priests face east, ad orientum, when they celebrate their kurbana, their mass, their liturgy, just as it was in the original custom of that church. Imagine Pope Francis, who has not been friendly to the traditional Latin mass people, he instructed the Cyril Malabar Church to restore its ancient tradition of facing east. Now, that was welcome news to many in that church, but it was not to others. 
the ones that wanted to retain the so-called modern or post-Vatican II orientation of facing the people have resisted the Pope. They have adamantly resisted the Pope, Pope Francis, on this issue. So now Pope Francis is in another quandary. What does he do to help keep the unity of this church, keep it from breaking apart, keep the divisions from happening, try to bring in peace and unity? What does he do? Does he seek some kind of compromise without actually hedging on or compromising the basic principle, their basic ancient tradition? So what he has done, and this is interesting for me, is actually asked a bishop, an archbishop, from my Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian church. Only this bishop is from Slovakia. His name is Archbishop Cyril Vassal. He has asked him, Holy Father, Pope Francis, has asked Archbishop Cyril Vassal, a Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic priest from my church, to go to India and be a special envoy of the Pope to try to bring about some healing to this situation. It's very interesting because now we have a Pope intervening for an Eastern Catholic Church using someone else from another Eastern Catholic Church. Proud to say it's my church. I'm not happy that there has to be this intervention. However, it's interesting and rather proud that my own church was called upon for this, what must be a very weighty and complicated task, because the sentiment on both sides in the Cyril Malabar Church are very strong, very strong. And that's why the Pope has to intervene in this situation, as Rome has done and should do in this way throughout history. So we're going to look for some kind of resolution here. Hopefully the Archbishop from my church can help bring about some kind of healing and resolution. It may take some time, but this is something that we pray for. So we have here a glimpse into some of the character, the nature of the Eastern Catholic churches, how passionate they can be about their church but also a glimpse into the place of the Pope in relation to Eastern ecclesiology. So there's a lot to watch in this whole situation. And I hope that you as Latin Rite Catholics, if you're listening as Latin Rite Catholics, that you are watching. I hope that Eastern Catholic people are watching, but I especially hope that the Orthodox Christians are watching too, watching how this whole thing plays out with the Pope and an Eastern Catholic Church when there is a major problem. We have other things that are going on right now in the Eastern Catholic Churches, actually the Western Church as well, but in particular the Eastern Catholic Churches, and that is a marvelous feast day, huge feast day of the Dormition of the Mother of God, which is August 15th. We're in a fasting period for that, a penitential period leading up to that, and that feast day in the Eastern Catholic churches, has an interesting custom to it. We bring flowers and herbs to church, and we bless them because there is an ancient story, tradition, about this feast day where the apostles had buried the Virgin Mary. See, in the Eastern churches, we believe that she died, but not in the usual way. The apostles buried her. Thomas was late again. He wasn't with them. He wants to come and see and visit the body of the Virgin Mary that the apostles buried. So the apostles go with him. They go to the tomb. They open it up, and her body is gone. And there is only the fragrance of flowers. Her body had been assumed into heaven. The Latin rite calls this the assumption of the mother of God. The Eastern rites call it her dormition or her falling asleep. 
They believe that she died, but not in the way that we die, in the way that someone dies who is without sin. In other words, she went body and soul into heaven, the way Adam and Eve would have done had there been no sin, the way you and I would have had there been no sin. Sin is what separates the body from the soul. Our bodies will be reunited with our souls at the end of time, judged, and will live with our body and soul, hopefully in heaven, transfigured gloriously. Well, that happened to the Virgin Mary right away because she was without sin. Either way, East and West arrives at the same point. The Virgin Mary went into heaven, body and soul intact. A glorious feast day. Please go to church and celebrate it. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Radio is it's training for the troops. It's a interaural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves. Catholic radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith. Dr. Ray Garendi thinks Catholic radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!